Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Surge podcast, covering all the latest insights and trends from blockchain and FinTech in the Middle East from experts all across the world. Powered by FinTech Surge and Future Blockchain Summit, taking place at Dubai Harbor, October 15th through 18th, alongside Expand North Star. I'm excited that this year, we are teaming up with Cointelegraph Mina to host an unforgettable podcast. Thanks for having us here. Cointelegraph is the leading Web3 publication covering all the latest trends in blockchain, Web3, and fintech for the region. Hi everyone, it's Dr. Nishata Satsev here from Cointelegraph Mina. Today I'm with CryptoBurb. So um, let's start with you. How did you start CryptoBurb? Why? Uh, what, what did you have in mind? Did you know that you were going to blow up like this? Mm. If I'd known that, I would probably try to do better. <laughs> so um, there's always this uncertainty, I guess. Any any decision that we make, you know, from the financial standpoint, from any sort of like a standpoint, is at the time of making any decision, the, the uncertainty is at the peak, right? So we always kind of like naturally feel uh, something that is also in finance and in, in real life called loss aversion, right? We would hate losing, so which is why we also often uh, try not to follow through on our decisions. So I guess it was a little bit of a spontaneous point from, from, me, from my side, you know, from my history in 2017 that I really pulled the trigger, you know, and decided to, uh, to start developing a brand, you know, for crypto. Um, the history, however, goes back as early as 2013, if I remember correctly. However, my, my memory is really foggy. I have a memory of a squirrel. <laughs> so uh, my grandfather, you know, used to bet um, with Bitcoins on the football matches. And uh, he's a very tech-savvy guy. Really? He's, uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he did finish this, this engineering studies in the computation, in the, in the computers, um, which right now in his 80s, you know, was, was a pretty, pretty spectacular t- achievement, I, I would argue, you know, for, for his being, you know, 70 or so. Yeah. And knowing about Bitcoin, knowing, knowing about, like, this, this entire utility to it. And, um, you know, he, used to, he also was a trader. He also was a trader, you know, every time... Um, I would just visit him in his room, you know, he was pretty much locked up in this, call it room, cage, whatever, basement. And, uh, and he would stare at the black screens with those, you know, white, white kind of like movements on the tickers. And I was like, why would he do that? You know, why, why would he do that really as a, as a trader? Why, why would he sit locked up, you know, in, in his own room for all the time and, uh, and then just wouldn't leave, right? And uh, that's how I basically approached trading for the first time, right? So I understood, okay, he, w- he was trading. Uh, at the same time, that was not necessarily the most successful job of his career, I would argue, right? This, mm-hmm. this blew up a lot of, a lot of money. Uh, so the rest of the family was not necessarily happy with that. Mm-hmm. However, he's a, he's a great man and definitely so much I can you know, look after his wisdom. Um, so having this early, early, I would argue in my, um, what was it, like 20 years, right? I was 20 years at the time. Uh, first encounter, you know, that I that I did for trading, that I had for trading, was with his observing what he was doing. I wasn't really impressed, being completely uh, fine and transparent about that, right? Because being locked up in a room is not necessarily uh, promising, you know, future path for the career. Uh, so I would I would try to ignore that and just move on with my studies, right? So I did the chemical technology studies. I'm a chemical engineer for my background. Okay. Um, you know, I did deal with, with the polymers, with, with the <clears throat> nanocomposites, with the, you know, graphene, with graphene oxides and many different, like, substances. Wow. 
So, you know, I could probably not shut up. I will be going on and on. So I just don't want to bore you to death with that. However, um, I did, you know, I did have this, this, like I said, this uncertainty about, about the path and about the future, right? Because many friends of mine from the university, from the Warsaw School of, of um, University of Technology, a leading school for, for engineers, um, was basically the decision that some of my friends, you know, they, they graduated, they were PhDs, uh, they, they really did a great job, and they had worked in some laboratories, you know, for some time. However, the entire environment behind it, as in the, the educational side and how much funding that was coming into it, uh, decided and pivoted that lots of my friends who were engineers, really well-qualified people, they would just go outside of the country for, well, UK, obviously, for, for Germany mm-hmm. to work in grocery stores as engineers, right? Yeah. I was like, hold on, something is off. Something is not really working well, right? So um, I had this, like I said, this, 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 maybe a little bit of prejudice to it, right? I wouldn't really want myself to finish, um, you know, to end up as a, as a, as a grocery store, you know. Um, Especially even, after studying so hard. That's it, right? Yeah. So either it was the decision to work in a lab, you know, with, mm-hmm. with the chemicals, which is on its own, you know, it could be fun. However, uh, you know, you smell a lot of, a lot of different substances. Yeah. It really, you know, sets low in your lungs and it really yeah. causes a lot of physical, I should say, you know, hazards, hazards to it. Um, and, you know, I decided, okay, what, what else can I do, right? What else can I do? I don't necessarily want to end, end like that, you know, end up like that. Um, so I, I basically began my second studies, right? I, I did the first master's with that. Uh, on the polymers and the second master's with uh, with the school of economics, the top school of economics in Poland, it was for the management. However, uh, I ended up purposely, you know, having the thesis, the master thesis on the technical analysis of Bitcoin, right? Because in the okay. meantime, I did get uh, positively infected, impacted, if you will, by technical analysis works, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually, this has become my my major. This has become my, I would say, leading point of interest and uh, trying to master technical analysis skills mm-hmm. um, in a very unpopular manner, right? Because most of the time you would hear and read about technical analysis. It, it's kind of like it's squiddle lines, you know, it's, it's some rectangles, some geometrical shapes, and it doesn't really have much substance to the market. It's just mm-hmm. forecasting a crystal ball and it doesn't work and so on. However, there is apparently an entire depth to it. And when you just go and try to kind of like, again, overcome this, this bad feeling about losses, about losing and blaming the external factors, just like mm-hmm. mistakenly uh, done analysis over the market, uh, you understand that there is the whole depth to it, right? There is a whole science to it. There is a scientific approach, scientific approach that is uh, like some hypothesis testing. There is entire programming behind it. There's, of course, lots of uh, strategy designing and this system designing. And apparently, the markets, uh, the markets give us those, those infrequent moves that tend to persist, and mm-hmm. they're called trends. And because of trends, uh, technical analysis works. And those trends are what makes this whole world of finance non-random, right? So Really interesting. So wait, so you did your master's in economics yes. and your thesis in trading. That's it. Wow. And is this thesis published anywhere? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, okay. it's uh, I, I believe I, I did manage to kind of like put, you know, put, push yeah. it outside in, in English as well, right? Yeah. So it's, 
it's a it's a pretty good pretty good chapter. I was really lucky to study under the supervision mm -hmm. of a very very well known you know financial professor at the university. Yeah. And at the same time, like I said, you know, technical analysis would have often this, this stigma uh, from people who would un underappreciated in terms of believing that the markets are random, that you know there is not much choice that you can make about yeah. the markets, that is just fifty percent up, fifty percent down, and you're just you know doing something about that. However, this entire existence of the trends, which is the keyword, I, I guess, you know, um, makes it non-random because those prices move up in one direction for for a long time, eventually. Mm -hmm. Same. For, goes for the bear market. So yeah. there was uh, some substance, you know, that I got really inspired with uh, to to learn to develop, mm -hmm. and basically that's how I am right now. Really cool. Okay. So uh, what I mean, what tools do you use for trading now? Do you have your own? Have you developed it? Are you in the process? Perfect question, Nish. Um, so it's a process for sure, right? It's mm -hmm. a process uh, mainly because the markets are not static. Right, nothing in the world is really static. Everything is dynamic, right? Impacted mm -hmm. by different forces, but also lots of random, uh, randomness all around yeah. us. Um, so it's a constant battle of trying to beat the market, mm -hmm. right? The job of of, tra of a trader of a of a technical trader is to beat the market, right? Otherwise, uh, something as simple as buying and holding strategy. Um, you know, which is what Warren Buffett did, for instance, you know, holding it over decades, over years, uh, is uh, for, for some people, you know, can be, it can be a path to go, right? However, again, there's more depth to it, right? You can perfect it, you can make it better. Mm -hmm. So you, your job as a trader is to generate this so-called alpha, which is this abnormal um, profit that you can make outside and that is beating the, the, the buy and hold strategy, right? So it's a constant battle of adjusting to the markets and all those fundamental twists, exogenous factors that just happen all the time, just like recently it happened you know, with the Fed's uh, recent actions about the bank bailouts, which is a very interesting and hot topic. Pretty curious yeah. how it plays out. Uh, so all the time you do need to uh, incorporate all those factors you know, into your trading. Um, otherwise, you know, that the, the systems get outdated, you know, the data changes, that mm -hmm. the markets change, the fundamental factors appear, like I said. Lots of regulatory aspects, you know, can kick in and just change the, the way that the market looks immediately. So um, finding the systems, finding the strategies. Well, systems and strategies are a little bit different, right? Strategies are kind of like a main main set of processes that takes you from point E to point uh, from point A to point B, as in well-defined goal, right? There's mm -hmm. a rule as simple as smart goals, right? Spend that the goals, every goal will have to be specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. So that any strategy would make sense whatsoever, uh, and putting that in financial frames, you know, uh, gets you the choice between, like I said, the buy and hold strategy. You can be a day trader. You can be basically a position trader, which is something that I am. Mm -hmm. uh, you can be an intraday trader, right? As well, and trade like very micro movements. Okay. Mm, so yeah. So um, how do you feel about the strategy of just hodling? Mm. Uh, like I said, it's not necessarily a bad choice, right? In mm -hmm. fact, most of the people would have done always better if they just buy and hold, you know? I feel like every time I trade, I buy high and sell low. It happens. <laughs> it happens. It happens to the best of us, you know? Nothing okay. wrong with that. Nothing okay. wrong. So what advice would you give to like new traders that are just exploring the space? Good question. Or to traders like me that 
are the horrible very at it. <laughs> very good traders, you mean. Very good traders. <laughs> the best. The best. I, I don't know if you were aware, however, women traders are far better on average than men. They really? Are. Yeah, they are. They really are mm -hmm. on average. Um, you know, women would have this excellent capacity and capability of managing the emotions so much better than men, right? Men would always be like, you know, this, this, this fierce wild guys and then trying to prove themselves to the world outside and just beat, you know, the adrenaline, feel this, this need, you know, for kick, uh, for speed. And, uh, and that's, that's fairly distant to the women side of the market. And women are fairly better traders on average, right? It's, uh, you, you, you are probably the, the very good proof for that. <laughs> should probably start trading. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, how would you recommend that new entrants do their research? You know, is it going out and finding articles? Is it following, you know, influencers? And, uh, I mean, on that topic, uh, do you feel like influencers have to be held responsible to a certain extent for the advice that they give as well? Hmm. I think that's a very interesting and broad question, Misha. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and I'll try to address that as simply as I can. And if I ramble, just excuse me. Uh, there are lots of biases and prejudice that we have as people, as traders. And one of those is, uh, is named self-attribution. Self-attribution bias, which basically drives a lot of markets. All those biases, those psychological deviations that we have against the theoretical decisions uh, and ideal situations is uh, driving us away from our plans, right? It's driving us away from our goals and making us act irrational, especially when we face uncertainty. So such biases, emotional biases especially, which are hard to control, because, well, the biases would be divided into two categories, right? It could be cognitive about your biases that you can try and master, such as basically lack of knowledge in a specific, you know, uh, field or, or poor memory that you can practice, right? Or just pattern recognition skills that you can practice. Uh, and there's an other side to it, uh, which is an emotional. An emotion is by... by by definition, spontaneous, right? You cannot basically order yourself or request yourself to feel a given specific emotion at one specific time in the future. Mm -hmm. So it often arrives spontaneously, which is, that's why it's hard to, to manage that, right? You can only kind of like manage it once it comes. Okay. So uh, fighting the biases, learning about them is a step one, right? This helps you, of course, understand yourself better. Mm -hmm. As a trader, as a human being, you know, uh, and if you do, if you really do the study, if you really commit to it, uh, you see all your prejudice, you see all your biases, you see, you see all of those deviations that make you act irrationally. And, uh, well, the more you are aware of it, you know, the more you can just improve that. And uh, back to the self-attribution uh, self is that we would try to attribute the best success to our genius, to, our, mm -hmm. to ourselves. Right? At the same time, anything that is just a failure that would just have to admit our losses is the ex exogenous kind of like a fault. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. external. We would put it on the, you know, on the bad weather, on the mood. We would put it on the politicians, on the influencers. Right? Yeah. So every time you know, somebody would win with an influencer for, for, uh, for, for the money, for earning the money, uh, they would be happy. They would cheer them up. They would glorify mm -hmm. them. They would be very, very cheerful about that. And at the same time, or the next day, when there's just a little bit of a down tick, 0.1% of a down move, you know, they would not search the blame in themselves. They would search the blame on the influencers mm -hmm. and on the external factors, on the scientists, on the politicians, on the TV, on the forecasts, on the weather, on the yeah. dog, on the family. 
and it could go on and on, you know. So I would argue that putting or learning about the biases from the step one and understanding that, well, there is a whole grief cycle process that, that takes you from the denial, from this cognitive dissonance that you have to fight that just conflicts your views, to, whole, to reach the whole, you know, stage of acceptance for what you are surrounded by or this new situation uh, and accepting that. You know, at times I'm a, I'm a, I try to be a religious guide, so praying helps me that gets there, for instance, right? Um, learning about acceptance for your own faults, mm -hmm. understanding that the losses are inevitable, that our ego is going to be harmed, and that all the ego defensive processes, mechanisms would have to be overcome, right? Yeah. That is the whole door that just opens up a new chapter once you get through the door that gives you a deeper understanding for what's going on behind the markets. Really interesting. It sounds like you take quite a psycho and analytical approach towards trading, which you normally don't hear. I mean, you hear about like the different theories, the Fibonacci number gets thrown mm. in somehow You're everywhere. Right. Um, right. But it really sounds like you've broken this down into human psychology almost. So You're right. it's an interesting, uh, interesting aspect here. <laughs> so I want to know what your insights are for 2023. What do you feel are going to be the biggest trends for the industry? Mm. Good question, you know, and uh, when I think of 2023, I do think in a very positive manner. And there are lots of reasons for that, you know. So myself being the CMT, Chartered Market Technician, uh, the only title holder in my country, basically, for explaining technical analysis with lots of psychological understanding to it in depth. I would argue that there's a lot of behavioral patterns that just repeat and retain over the years. Mm -hmm. And one of such is seasonality pattern. Seasonality, uh, which is a very interesting phenomenon that is often set in, seen in the markets, that is often driven by external factors just uh, uh, such as weather, right? There is a season uh, all around the world, seasons of weather, and they drive up the markets very often in terms of the the food market, the, the, you know, the crops, the wheat, you know, all and so on. So accounting for the seasonality from the natural point of view, uh, there, is, there is a second view, view and angle to it, uh, which is driven by presidential cycles. This four-year presidential cycle that, uh, well, is coming from U.S. mostly, and that is impacting all of the other markets, you know, basically when there is the free market connection between them. I would argue that both together, ag aggregated, uh, would cause this total and, 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 and uh, cumulative seasonal pattern, right? Mm -hmm. And over 84 years, for instance, only one year was losing if it regards pre-election years. And 2023 happens to be a pre-election year, just like, such as t 2019. And as a matter of fact, the midterm years, which is... The last year and 2018 uh, are the bearish terms typically, right? So those are the years that typically would bring the bear market or the bear market extension or a lot of sideways movement, which otherwise is not bullish. Mm -hmm. So speaking of the records from over not five days, not, not a week, not a month, but 84 years or decades or, you know, almost centuries, such as technical analysis studies would be, would be proven like that. Um, this makes you wonder, right? If there is certain repetition to it, and, and you know, just since I use this parallel for the weather at times, if you know that in Dubai, the temperatures during the summer is going to be 40, 50 degrees, then that's been the, the tendency over the past years, decades, and, and even centuries and so on. 
what are the chances that the temperature is going to go negative during the summer? Almost zero. Almost zero, right? Of course, you don't know the future. We don't know what's going to happen, right? There is this uncertainty to it. However, because there's this, there's been this phenomenon that's been driven, you know, for many, many decades, for many years, it makes you think that this probabilistic aspect to it, isn't that the frequency of events of happenings uh, would speak in favor of continuation of certain pattern, mm -hmm. such as the pre-election years. So over the 84 years, only one year was losing, and we're talking about the data set from the Second World War, you know? Okay. And 2023 happens to be one of those bullish years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people would argue, though, that the Bitcoin chart also changes what it's, you know, what it reflects on. Mm -hmm. So uh, sometimes it could be gold, sometimes real estate, sometimes stock market. So would you say that that makes it more unpredictable, though? What do you mean by unpredictable? In terms of, yeah, okay, you have the trends, you know that, uh, you know, like you said, the pre-election years are usually um, bullish. But now, wh what about, you know, the stock market collapse or external factors that come in? How can traders navigate the industry with all of these external factors playing such a big role in the way that the chart moves? Hmm. Wouldn't it be cool to have some sort of like a rule that the market would always turn up when the market goes down the, on the other side? Yeah, it would be very, very beneficial to have such very framed rules and a very guidelines, you know, to follow. However, because of the dynamics, because of this unpredictability, which you are right about, uh, it makes it irrelevant. There are no rules. Markets are chaotic. There's a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of entropy in the market that is this, you know, in, inherent chaos that is, that is just making the markets turn uh, regardless of what the trends are, right? So there is always this little bit of uncertainty, and even if we are certain about something, right? It's, like I said, those seasonal patterns of the weather, there's just a tiny bit of seasonality uh, and unpredictability that we should factor into that, right? Mm -hmm. So this randomness at times just appears, and there's this butterfly effect, this normal effect from, and even that is, well, if you will, what happened in Wuhan, you know, some time ago, it did rise to something big and global yeah. and no charts are going to tell you about that yeah. you know and in hindsight of course everything is you know obvious right mm -hmm. that's also a trap of our mind that's also this this fake feeling of overconfidence that is built within us if we think that the market was predictable however they are not the markets are very unpredictable and our job as traders is just try to track those behavioral patterns is try to track those risk control techniques that we can do with technical analysis in order to not expose ourselves too much to risk whenever the conditions are not good and just maybe push a little bit further and higher in terms of the aggression, in terms of the, the deposition size when the odds are in your favor, right? So mm -hmm. I would argue that, you know, just having those, this, this probability, probabilistic aspect to it, right? Understanding that everything is a probability. There, is no, there are no guarantees. The only guarantee is, in fact, that we are going to have losses, right? That we as traders... We really have to work hard to generate profits. However, we don't have to try at all to have losses. Yeah. The losses would always come, right? Whatever we do, because yeah. of this unpredictability, right? So I, I, I guess there's a lot of, like I said, psychological aspect to it and behavioral aspect to it for understanding that our ego is going to be harmed, that all those mm -hmm. ego defensive mechanisms and biases and prejudice um, you know, factors are, um, need to be tackled, need to be solved and addressed and when you combine this with data, with statistics that, again, are just not random, not over a small sample, but they include the sample over hundreds of years, you know, technical analysis goes back in 
2000, um, sorry, goes 12, 212 years back in the past in terms of something that is called momentum investing strategy, right? Mm -hmm. And the momentum investing, which is basically long strength and short weakness, uh, which means exposing yourself to what really works well and decomposing your portfolio away from something that doesn't work well, uh, that's been existing um, since very, very old times, you know? And our job is, as technical analysts, as market technicians, is to utilize that in our favor. Mm -hmm. And um, that's it. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so um, I want to wrap this up by, I guess, a little recap on what's happened in the last year and um, you know where you see the industry going in terms of DeFi. So obviously, over the last year, we've seen the collapse of several, several massive centralized institutions. Um, I want to know how you feel DeFi can have an impact or vice versa. How does this impact DeFi? Hmm. That's a good question. For regards DeFi, you know, this, this, is, this is a little bit of, um, of a narrative, you know, that we have that just opposes the corrupted politicians, if I were to address it this way. Mm. We really have a good cause for what's going on right now. Good example, good case with the bank bailouts, right, from the United States. Yeah. And those bank bailouts basically prove that the financial system as a whole is, is, is not in good condition, right? For instance, this is a very interesting point, right? Yesterday, Credit Suisse, one of the biggest banks in Europe, basically, was 30% down on a day before they held, in tra held the trading. The entire financial system right now, the banking sector, is at the really edge of, of a collapse. You know, it does mm -hmm. seem so. And, you know, it might have been known for ages that it's not really in the perfect condition, right? However, of course, with the money inflow, with the monetary printing, with the monetary easing, uh, the money supply increasing basically makes you think that for some time it's okay, that it's good, you know, because eventually you earn more, the prices are also higher. However, if you earn more on the paper, then it means you're richer, right? However, real, real yields, the, you know, real earnings, inflation adjusted, keep declining. Yeah. They do keep declining, right? So um, DeFi as a whole, you know, just is is a little bit of insurance from the foundational point of view, from the fundamental point of view, uh, to address the, the inefficiencies of the regular financial system, right? And the regular financial services, because seeing Credit Suisse just dropping 30% on the day, the banks like, you know, SVB collapsing, like I said, and getting bailed out by, by, by a sudden rotation in the monetary policy potentially from the Fed, you know, just it's, it's not optimistic as its own, I would say. Yeah. So, um, the conditions are really, are really tough in those, in those regards, which gives, at the same time, an opportunity in a different place, right? Mm -hmm. Elsewhere. And I'm really glad that you brought DeFi, right? And DeFi seems to be the spot overall, right? This yeah. whole chapter, this whole group for, for cryptocurrencies, um, for tokens, I would say that it may have a lot of relevance, right? And especially mm -hmm. when there is this... this this um, flight, flight to safety, right? In terms of the bonds, there's a lot of, lot of risk uh, that just keeps piling up. Speaking of which, um, credit swaps, you know, for instance, as in the bank insurance, the, the insurance that the banks, you know, will not collapse, the prices are spiking and they really went through the roof just yesterday, uh, tackling over 
1,000% greater rates than during the time of the Lehman Brothers collapse in 2008. Mm -hmm. Right. So there is a lot of a lot of risk, a lot of a lot of pressures from the investors themselves and from the entire system as a whole, not to just get blown up, which brings this opportunity potentially, you know, um, towards towards DeFi. So I would argue that having this positive seasonality, right, this, those those narrative-driven trends often, those seasonal trends, uh, do seem to have and put a lot of hope for DeFi for yeah. 2023 and for 2024. Mm, I would personally, you know, um, expose myself to DeFi more when the market is well settled after it had after it had you know has advanced already a lot, mm-hmm. right? Because those uh, from the liquidity standpoint, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum still the main coins, uh, the main the main popular cryptocurrencies, um, are what attracts the, the 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 liquidity, right? So exposing oneself to to a lot of um, illiquid assets, often uh, the DeFi, lots of defined tokens protocols are are still kind of like you know just just small compared to to, to Bitcoin. Mm, it puts you in the risk, right? So I would argue the narrative as a good on its own. Mm-hmm. However, the timing might be just a little bit off or just not ready for it, right? So if I were to if I were to give you know any sort of like insight about DeFi more specifically, I would argue that towards the end of the year the, the importance of that will uh, will increase, you know. And at the same time probably the prices will follow. So probably towards the end of the year the the, the bet for, for DeFi and on DeFi is going to be a better choice than it will be right now in the head of the summer, which is mm-hmm. a little bit of a declining on its own for the quarter. Mm. However, there is a lot of potential, like I said, you know, from the fundamental standpoint, from mm-hmm. the, this, this overall systematic viewpoint, uh, I would say that this, this bank bailouts, that this entire instability that's just emerged uh, very aggressively and spiking up everywhere, uh, this may add a lot of relevance and substance to, to DeFi as a whole, right? Mm-hmm. Giving this fundamental push to it, moving lots of capital to it. So Adrian, thank you so much for sharing your insight. I love the psychological aspect that you took to trading. I don't think I've heard too much of that before. Um, now, really quick, I want to do a rapid fire and I just want like one-liners. So I want to know what are the most upcoming trends that you see in 2023? Very good. I would say game, GameFi, Metaverse is definitely something, something mm-hmm. that is on, on, the, on the traction on the record as well as NFTs, right? Especially if you combine all of these, there is a lot of space and a lot of money that is just moving in this direction. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to budding entrepreneurs that are looking to enter the space? Hmm. I would say that this persistence and understanding of the seasonal patterns and on the trends and understanding to work out with this persistence in the the market, making yourself comfortable around the competition is uh, is what it does really require. Okay, and what are you looking forward to at Future Blockchain Summit? I love Future Blockchain Summit. I spent so much time with the with the people, you know, with the organizers, and I had very good memories with that. I'd love to come back and love to go get back on the stage. I love speaking, so hopefully, I see everybody there. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Rich.